It is the 11 Dubcast with Johnny and Andy. Um, we're going to talk about all kinds of things this week. I actually want to start off uh, by kind of getting back to what we discussed last week with some of the football and sports movies. I, there was a couple things I just wanted to, to, you know, roll back around on very briefly. And so I mentioned that I have a love for the replacements, right? And you can, I've heard, supposedly... Uh, watch the entire movie on YouTube. Um, I don't. I, there are rumors. I don't know. It's, it, I can't verify <laughs> yes or no. And neither confirm but, nor deny. <laughs> yeah, I can neither confirm nor deny. But what I will say is that one thing that I was reminded of with the replacements is that as much as I enjoy like the interactions, like the the non football stuff, the ennui and the personal interactions between you know like Keanu Reeves and Gene Hackman, all that. The actual football and the replacements is garbage. It is god awful. It they play this like horrible like late nineties, early two thousands, new metal techno type stuff over it. None of the stuff that goes on makes any sense. Clearly, the person who wrote the script has never actually watched football. Uh, <laughs> it's from that perspective, it is god awful. Uh, but everything else is great. Everything else is just like fantastic, the bee's knees. And then what's also funny is that I, I watched Rudy Ruse on Showtime um, the other day, and I watched that, and I came by, came out of that. I hadn't seen Rudy in a few years. I came out of it with a much more negative opinion than I thought, actually. Like, Rudy, <laughs> he's a front-running little turd the entire time. He's just this little nerd, and, like, the guys on the football team generally aren't jerks to him. Vince Vaughn's the, the one guy who's kind of a dick, and everyone else is like, dude, like chill out, like chill out. Like you're really, really irritating. And he's like, no, not, no, not, no, not. What's wrong with you? And it's, it's just, I don't know. The football, like I said, the reason why I like Rudy is because I feel like the football is authentically painful and it really is. I think they do a very good job at showing what football players went through during that time period. Man, I want to punch Rudy in the face. What a little nerd. Like I hate that guy. I hate that kid. I'm I'm really glad that you you kind of uh, brought this up because we had one glaring omission for all of the love that we gave Shane Footsteps Falco. I don't think we mentioned Johnny Utah at all in the episode. Yeah. And, and credit to uh, Reader Hockey Buck for pointing out <laughs> that right. we didn't mention the other great Ohio State quarterback that Keanu Reeves played in film. But I have to give it up to 11 Warriors reader Army Nurseboy who pointed out in the comments that um, really, if you think about this, Keanu played the same character, uh, you know, after after checking out of the FBI after the surfer bank robber incident, <laughs> Army Nurse Boy writes, Johnny Utah moves to D.C., adopts the alias Shane Falco, and starts a boat cleaning service where he works until being drafted as a scab player by the Washington Sentinels. And if you want to take it a step further, he continues, after the strike ends, he changes his name again to John Wick and puts his FBI training to use as an assassin. <laughs> I love this. This theory and it gives me a whole new reason to watch these films in sequence <laughs> again uh, because we're still binge watching a number of film series right. here in our house as part of our extended corona quarantine vacation uh, lifestyle you know so now that okay we- so I've, I've i heard the johnny utah and shane falco thing before i have not heard the connection to john wick before which actually makes it a hundred times better in my eyes because yeah, i love it that's way funnier and if you watch the John Wick movies thinking that 
there, <laughs> this guy's an Ohio State alum who also uh, played football and, uh, you know, was an FBI. That, that, that works out so much better. And now I need to rewatch the John Wick movies in that context because that sounds fantastic. Yes, and, and, and don't be that guy who chimes in and says, well, actually, you know, Johnny Utah and Shane Falco couldn't be the same player because, you know, footsteps uh, blew that game and so on and so forth. Well, like, guess no, what? No, no, it's, no. it's all <laughs> fictional, so who cares? Let us <laughs> yes. have fun. Let, that's exactly right. I, I now need to watch this. Oh, are there three, three Wick movies? Are we up to three? There are three, yeah. Yeah, so, so I've got a nice little five-movie arc here that I can watch. That's, that's a good week of my life. We've, we've made funny. it through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, yeah, I want to talk to you about that later. In chronological too, order, yep. And now we are um, finishing up the Fast and the Furious series. So that's about, what, uh, 38 movies probably <laughs> start to finish between those two series. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're always looking just to put things back in the queue. And that, that's, that'll be our next thing, the nice five-arc Keanu Reeves quarterback sequence that's perfect yeah that's that's <laughs> it's yeah the sequence um <laughs> it's like some art film except it's just a bunch of people who like ohio state football and keanu reeves at the same time yeah um, <laughs> so i i hope people enjoy that a little indulgence that we had last week because god knows we love talking about sports movies it was um, fun yeah it was fun and i enjoyed that quite a bit and there's always going to be something that you miss but i just wanted to bring up the fact that i had indeed watched both the replacements and rudy after that just kind of refresh my memory and, and it, uh, i don't think i'd watch the replacement here's what i'd do I, I think i'd watch the replacements again as long as i can fast forward through all of the football parts and i'll watch rudy again as long as i can fast forward through literally everything but just him getting yelled at at practice that's everything else everything else completely irrelevant don't care uh that part's fun um, so that's, that's what we were discussing last week. This week, I want to talk about something that's kind of come up in the last couple of days. And it's, it's, you know, Ohio State, look, I am a pretty big defender of Gene Smith in a lot of ways. And I think that Ohio State trying to manage literally hundreds of millions of dollars in athletic department revenue and thousands of athletes and tens of thousands of students and an endowment of billions of dollars. This is a very complicated task. It's not easy. It's, it's something that, can be difficult to get right, particularly when you're trying to like do things on the fly, right? When it's, it's a situation or an issue that has never popped up before and you've got to react to it. On the other hand, all of those things, all of those giant numbers of human beings and, and money also means that it's kind of your job to get it right the first time. And so Ohio State has this Buckeye pledge that they're asking athletes to sign. It's a waiver. Um, and I look, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but I want to start the conversation with this is clearly a unique situation. It's something that Ohio State is kind of trying to wrap its head around. But my biggest concern is that student athletes, whether they get a parent or guardian to sign it or not, however it works out, have very little in terms of legal representation or protection. Whereas Ohio State, has more than you can possibly imagine. And even though Gene Smith can say that this is a, you know, this is just a, an agreement among friends. This is, I don't think this is a legal document. He can say that all he wants. This is an inherently unequal partnership. And I don't know that you can pretend like it's two buddies 
coming to a mutual agreement about a difficult situation. That is not, in my opinion, what's happening here. Yeah, this is that's my those... that's my first reaction. Yeah, this is one of those things that feels like that um, a lawyer sitting around the department is is analyzing the risk or the exposure that the university has in general. Um, probably not not just student athletes, but students in general, and and yeah. saying how do we protect ourselves from the inevitable lawsuit when some student athlete or student in general comes up with this disease and says, well, gosh, if you hadn't put me in this situation, or if you hadn't done this or that or the other thing, uh, then I wouldn't have gotten sick and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, some lawyers sitting here saying, when in doubt, yeah. when in doubt, uh, have them, have them sign away their right to whatever redress it is. Now, now I think we probably all agree that if, if Ohio state or whatever university it is, um, does something negligent that puts, the the student in harm's way you know a waiver a pledge or whatever else isn't necessarily going to protect them um but your point you know this it just comes back to and and i feel like all roads lead to rome in a way so many of the topics that we've talked about in recent years kind of come back to this unequal um balance of power between the university and and the student athletes not just ohio state but i mean the modern university in general Uh, student athletes have no you know, collective bargaining, like the pro right. leagues that we talk about, there's, there's no, as you mentioned, the access to, to lawyers and, uh, and, and competent advisors to be able to say, wait a minute, don't sign that. And here's the other thing too. Yeah, it's bad. Let's say, for example, Ohio State said, uh, I think as you read the, the um, news about the, the pledge that if they don't sign off on the pledge, you know, you're not going to be participating in team activities. Uh, Ohio State can can keep them from participating in student activities, and that might be bad for Ohio State in microcosm. Certainly, if it was a you know a major contributor to a given team, football, basketball, whatever. But the student athlete gives up far more uh, than the university does because you know let's put yourself let's say it's God forbid a Justin Fields or some other marquee type player. You know, there there's potential implications for um, those players in terms of, you know, the film that they get to put out there ahead of uh, draft stock. There's just a lot of repercussions, particularly as we come into the era where name, image and likeness uh, opportunities are going to be about are going to abound. You know, there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity to to want to protect your brand. um, And and because you don't have you know, a mechanism really for wielding power. Yeah, you can stand up to the university and and go on social media, but you can't really force the university to change outside that really narrow kind of frame of reference. Right. And and, well, here's the thing. And and this is kind of in conjunction with what I was saying before, but like, think about all of the other sports leagues. Think about all the other professional sports leagues that we have, Major League Baseball, basketball nba you know uh nfl whatever they they have players unions they have organizations which can stand and say hey this is what we need this is what we want to feel secure and sports will not happen until we can reach a mutual agreement about what that's going to look like major league baseball being a a relevant example Yes, extremely relevant, and for a lot of different reasons, too. And, and honestly, of all the different leagues that you would think would be, you know, kind of chomping at the bit to get back to it, you would think it would be baseball. And, I, and actually, I think that's what's interesting about this is because I think the players' union 
in Major League Baseball probably don't have a huge worry about things like COVID-19. I think what they're more worried about are revenue sharing and what it's going to look like in the next, you know, collective bargaining agreement and all that. That's, I think they're worried about the implications of a shortened season on that more than the actual health ramifications. But here's, here's the other thing that I'm going to say about this. At the end of the pledge, it says, I have read, understand, and agree to comply with my Buckeye pledge above. I also acknowledge that these expectations and pledge are a condition of my participation in Ohio State Athletics and that any failure to comply with my Buckeye pledge above may lead to immediate removal of athletic participation privileges. That's easy for me to say. Athletic participation privileges, not my athletic scholarship, and or the inability to use athletics facilities. Okay. While not signing that document may only prevent them from actually appearing on the field and, and doing things with their team, not taking away their scholarship, these scholarships are all conditional. <laughs> right. So I don't understand. You can tell a guy on the football team, oh, man, okay, well, I'm a third stringer. I got a scholarship. I'm just hanging on. I don't feel super secure in my position, but I also don't want to sign this pledge. What, what kind of leverage – does that person have they have none that student athlete has no leverage in this situation because they don't sign the pledge and decide not to do it and don't play entirely possible they get they get pushed out right they don't get to be on the team anymore but if they do sign it and they're like all right man i'm in it to win it let's go they can still lose their scholarship they can still be pushed off the team they can still be encouraged to leave because that's the kind of actual power that they have in this situation. So my point is, is that, yes, you can pretend this is a buddy-buddy situation where it's like, hey, guys, let's all be bros. Let's all get together and make sure that, you know, we agree that we're going to take on this risk and we're going we're gonna to do it together like a Buckeye community. But that is not the power situation that we have here. That is not what it looks like. And look, I know Gene Smith had to get on and, and, and kind of sell this whole thing and say like, you know, I don't really look at it as a legal document. Who wrote it? Did a lawyer write it? Because if a lawyer wrote it, it's a legal document. Like mm -hmm. I understand maybe it doesn't have the force of law behind it, but sure. a lawyer wrote it. It's still a legal document. And that means that the other party should have equal representation in interpreting it and deciding whether or not it has an impact on how they you know decide to function going forward. So I don't know, man. It, it, to me, this seems skeezy. I understand that the tone is very light and community-based, and, and maybe that's how they intended it, but it doesn't matter for the student-athlete, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, you know, um, Gene Smith told ESPN that the idea came from Fred Glass, who's the AD at Indiana, who's a school also asking its athletes to sign what they've called a participant expectations and commitment pledge. And, and, you know, most of the things that are in there in terms of the things they're asking the athletes to do, uh, you know, are, are reasonable and important, right? It's things like um, being tested and, and if you've come into contact with somebody with the virus to self-quarantine, if you've got the virus to self-quarantine, reporting exposure to the athletic training staff, you know, monitoring yourself for symptoms and so on and so forth. Um, all things that, you know, we expect people who are being responsible to do things like, you know, wearing a mask and, and other PPE in public places and doing social distancing and washing your hands. Like these are all things that coaches undoubtedly are going to be telling 
their teams anyway. You know, do these things so you don't get sick and so that you don't infect everyone else in the locker room. Like that's, it's all pretty, what we would say, common sense type stuff. Uh, I, I don't have so much a problem with them, you know, asking people to do those things and to put it in writing that they will do those things like that. That, that to me is, is fine. But I, you know, the part of it where you feel like we're sneaking a waiver in here on what is in essence, you know, a, um, you know, kind of a behavioral standards document. That's where, <laughs> that's where it gets a little hinky, particularly when you say if in normal circumstances, if you're asking me to sign something, um, as as an employer, of course, Ohio State is not the student athlete's employer. That's uh, you know, <laughs> point of point of order. But but if my employer is asking me to sign something, like there's some there's some um, quid pro quo involved there, right? Like if yeah. I, I if to sign this as a condition of employment, you are paying me to you know to to get me to sign off on these things and and so on and so forth. The student athletes, what are you know, they're not there isn't a compensation for them giving up their rights. So the students are in essence, accepting all the risk with, right. with no additional benefit. I, you, I know what, you know what else is funny about this is that, and I, I know there are other reasons to have the parent or guardian sign this, obviously, but especially if they're under 18, like you, right. there's a lot of like things in terms of, uh, you know, health and all that, that you have to HIPAA laws or whatever. Uh, but people under 18 can't enter into legally binding contracts. So it's, you know, again, I understand where somebody would be supportive of Ohio state and say that this is kind of a, a nothing burger. It's not a big deal. It's not, you know, Ohio state's not really trying to look out to screw any student athlete, but it's written like a contract. It, it requires, it requires a student athlete under 18 to have a parent or guardian give the signature, which mm -hmm. would be necessary if you were doing something, uh, you know, in a legally binding sense. So I, that's, what's just really funny to me because someone reads this and they go, well, yeah, this is a legal document. <laughs> it's, it's written like one. It requires, uh, you know, a legal guardian if the person's a minor. Uh, it's just funny to me because I understand why Ohio State's trying to cover their ass. This is a situation that's completely in flux. They're not, by the way, they're not releasing the amount of students who have tested positive as some other schools have. Um, so we don't know how many student athletes have, you know, turned back positives. Um, to me, it's a lot shadier than it should be. And long-term, if you're looking at the big picture of this, I don't, to me, this is a signal that not just Ohio State, but I think sports in general are going to try really, really, really hard to have some semblance of a season in the fall. Because if they were still on the edge or kind of thinking maybe, you know, we'll see what happens the next couple of weeks, I think they've made their bed with what like they've made their peace and their bed <laughs> with what's going to happen in the fall and to me this is a signal from at least ohio state that they really want football to happen which you know in your opinion may be great if you're listening to this, you're like all right yeah let's get some football back but i also would caution people to to understand that that could also come at the expense of the student athlete and the health of the student athlete particularly if we get a rebound in Ohio, like some other states are experiencing. I don't know. 
to to this point, I believe that Ohio State and Ohio in general has done pretty good handling the COVID situation. But when people have expectations and when they want something to happen, I think sometimes they'll look around at the situation and they'll say, we're going for it. You know, we're going to take on the risk. And unfortunately, because these are student athletes and not professional athletes, they incur much more risk. And that's why we have to be careful about this. And again, I understand people would be skeptical in saying that this is some nefarious or, you know, shady thing, but the student athletes need more protection than they're getting in general and especially now. And so that's why you have to be, I think, more skeptical than usual when you see something like this. Yeah, it's, uh, it, and it's interesting. And of course, this isn't just an academic exercise either. I think that's, uh, you know, the other things you had, um, Houston, I think was the big one that uh, had, what, five or six um, team members who tested positive for the disease. I want to say yeah. there were some some uh, athletes from Alabama who, who were also tested. I, I, I think I read that on the social media. Um, but more recently, our, our own, uh, you know, Dallas Cowboy connection, Zeke Elliott <laughs> testing. That was the big uh, news late Monday afternoon was that Zeke had tested positive. It was asymptomatic for COVID-19, right. but, uh, you know, so that this is a, this is a real thing. Athletes are going to test positive, whether they're symptomatic or not and it's something to be concerned about psa by the way um friends who are listening if you really want football to come back make sure that you are wearing a mask out in public yeah, and practicing proper social distancing and uh, don't uh, treat this all like it's fairy dust foo-foo that you can ignore and that we flatten the curve and it's all over and life is you know perfectly normal and wonderful again protect football wear your mask make good choices yeah, I mean, look, if COVID-19 isn't that big of a deal, awesome. I, I hope it's mostly, I hope people are mostly asymptomatic and it's really mild and all this other stuff, but I'm 100% with you, man. You are absolutely correct. If you want football to be back, if you want sports to be back, the best way to ensure that happens is to stop it from spreading in the first place before we get to that point. So yes, for love of God, please practice good social distancing skills, wear the mask, try to limit your contact with people, especially older people, because who are especially vulnerable and can't really, and don't frankly, don't have the kind of voice that younger people do. And, and so they get taken advantage of when it comes to this kind of stuff a lot, which is really sad. Um, but yeah, that, I want it to be done with, so let's get it done with. And I, I absolutely agree with that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy situation. And again, I know everybody, this is all the first time for everybody. And I don't think Ohio State is necessarily being malicious, but that's why you got to kind of call it out and say, hey, if you're going to try this, make sure that you're not overlooking the, the rights and the protections for student athletes. Yeah, so. it's typical typical kind of lawyer lawyerly thinking. There are any number of things that come out of a, a legal meeting or a committee or you know something where, where, okay, we need to do this. And then when it hits the light of day, you know, it seemed like a good idea in the meeting. Uh, and then when the end user gets hold of it, wait a minute, <laughs> right? Le less of a good idea. And that, that, that's what I agree with you. It's nothing malicious or nefarious. Somebody's trying to cover their bases and cover their backsides. And yeah, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, this is probably one of those issues that's a 48 hour story, not a, not a lingering thing. For I would agree. And, and part of that's because I think the department's done a good job building some political capital, as you mentioned, uh, Gene Smith generally gets pretty good marks on his support of student athletes and treatment of them. And, 
and that and that matters. Yeah, absolutely. I, and here's the other thing. You know, we talked a little bit about athletes speaking up and whatnot and, and what kind of voice they have. And I, what's great about all of that, what has been going on in the past, you know, God, since March, okay, and I mean everything. Uh, the, the bright side of this is that I think people are starting to use their voices in a way that they hadn't necessarily before. And I actually, we talked about this before the show, we were talking about what we're going to get into and, and analyze and whatnot. And I, I was going to mention Malcolm Jenkins, but in addition to Malcolm Jenkins joining CNN as a contributor, which is great, and every time I've seen him on TV, he's been incredibly impressive. Um, I've also seen a lot of student athletes taking to social media and just regular, you know, traditional media and talking about what they've seen and what their story is. I, I honestly could not have envisioned a time period in which Mike Gundy and Dabo are kind of on the run a little bit when it comes to, you know, the media and how they interact with people and stuff and have to kind of explain themselves. And I don't, I don't mean that necessarily from a political standpoint. It's just that usually these giant football coaches, it could be Ryan Day, it could be Jim Hart, it could be anybody. Uh, they usually have so much cachet and so much power that a recruit saying, you know, a coach said X, Y, and Z is, you know, being a jerk or being racist or something, they'll shrug that off in most years and most times. But now you've got Chris Doyle who's gone at Iowa. Uh, you've got the issues at, at Clemson right now that they're dealing with, and they're talking about their assistant coaches. I just think it's really interesting how people are speaking up, and I think it's awesome, frankly. So Malcolm Jenkins going to CNN and, and being a contributor is great. I love that. But I also really love the fact that you see even recruits calling out stuff as high schoolers. And their colleges and, and people who might want to recruit them have to respond to that. that. That is an exercise of power that I really, really like. I really enjoy that, and it's good to see people using their voices. And one of the things I think is really interesting is, is you can look at – college football coaches probably, you know, as a, as a group are somewhat monolithic, you know, they have a lot of common traits. They're, they're very driven. Uh, you know, they, they, they eat, sleep and drink the sport um, at, at the FBS level, division one, power five, you know, they're extremely well paid. So their socioeconomic circumstances are night and day different from 90% of the players or 95% of the players that they're recruiting, Um, you know, so that you can draw some inferences about, about this group of coaches, but within that you see differences in how they approach. And some of it, you know, it's funny you talk about how, um, and we were having a few conversations on this um, weeks ago, like the evolution of football and, you know, urban Meyer, came in and, and his offense kind of left Jim Trestle behind, you know, had the game passed coach Trestle behind. And then likewise, now you look and say, well, Ryan day is doing things with Ohio state's offense that urban Meyer didn't, you know, as had urban Meyer kind of reached that point where he was, you know, at the tail end of being innovative and cutting edge and so on. And, and it was time for you, but that also extends to, you know, kind of attitudes toward the world around you and how you handle players, Kirk Ferentz, longest tenured guy in the FBS, had a policy <laughs> as recent as, what, a week ago that yeah. players couldn't tweet at all. Or, and our fallback position was, well, they could have one pre-approved tweet <laughs> per month. Like, that was a real uh, University of Iowa football program policy that players could have one pre-approved tweet per month. You know, you contrast that to how Ryan Day handles his business 
and you have, as you rightly noted, players who are extremely active and, and being right. leaders and, and pillars of the community, so to speak, in uh, the areas of social justice and the number of the issues that we've been dealing with as a society over the past several months. Likewise, Chris Holtman, right? So those are two coaches mm-hmm. who are, you know, very, what do you want to say, player friendly, I guess, with regard to being supportive of issues that are important to their athletes. And I think athletes, recruits, families, uh, are going to be super comfortable sending their kids to play for coaches like Holtman and Ryan Day, who are supportive of those things. Yeah. As opposed to guys like Mike Gundy and Dabo Swinney, who are wearing tone deaf t-shirts um, out there uh, supporting or seeming to either support things that the average student athlete doesn't, or conversely, in the case of Dabo, um, just being totally tenured on you know, the issues at large. So that's, and that's what I don't get though. Like, because I don't, I don't understand your, they don't understand. (laughs) Well, not just that, but the lifeblood of your job is recruiting. That's it. it. You can be a mediocre coach, but an incredible recruiter and still win a lot of games. That's really kind of the long and short of it. If you can get a bunch of five stars on your team, you're going to win more often than you lose most of the time. Now you could be a garbage coach and completely waste that talent. That's happened before and we've seen it, but for the most part, you can just be kind of mediocre, get a ton of talent and then win a lot of games. And I do not understand why you would jeopardize that at all, at all. Like again, Davo can believe whatever he wants. I don't, I have no opinions that I'm willing to state on the 11 podcast about Davos Winnie's personal life and Paul, he can, whatever, let him live. But what I'm baffled by is how you can see all this stuff happening, see what your rivals for these recruits are doing, especially guys like Ryan day, see the positive reaction that they get and then say, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay in this horse race. I'm just going to, I got to be me. I got to be me. And just from a logistical job preservation perspective, I have never understood why these guys are so good at shooting themselves in the foot. I absolutely do not understand it. And to me, that just shows a fundamental misunderstanding of maybe not just your players, but also the people that you're trying to coach and to encourage as to be great young men like i just i don't know it, it baffles me that you can be that bad at it because well, it's a marketing thing too like it does i mean ryan day and ohio state understand that they did the same thing when uh you know the ncaa started to indicate that they're okay we're gonna let players profit off their likeness what was the first thing ohio state and ryan day did talk up columbus talk about all the you know opportunities and encourage people in and around the program to talk about the opportunities that they could take advantage of one day they're not stupid so I, I just, I don't get it. I don't know how they can be that obstinate and ignorant of what allows them to win football games. It's just, it's wild to me. Yeah, that's and you one of those things that I feel like. Some empathy where they say, okay, this is a big deal to people. Hmm, why is it a big deal? And then maybe think about it. And then hopefully that would lead them to maybe have a greater understanding and not just from a purely mercenary, I want to win games, you know, point of view. But that's Which, where it should start. Which, oh, by the way, is one of those things that we want to teach young people, right? Like is that these, these are, um, it, it is good to be open-minded and have discussions and, and empathy and all those sorts of things. But yeah, I think it's, 
think it's really hard for some of these coaches because they're used to, here's the other thing they're used to having, particularly uh, with the Kirk Ferentz um, example comes to mind, having so much control. And this yeah. ties back into our original conversation about uh, the pledge in COVID-19 and the unequal balance of power between university and, and student athlete. These coaches are used to being the end all be all. And my word is the law and has the you know force of God behind yes. it and so on that now they're in a situation where, wait a minute, you know, these, these athletes have voices, even if they are just, you know, just quote unquote, social media um, channels, they do have a voice that they've never had before, aside from, you know, breaking some sort of smoking gun story to a reporter, you know, so now a Chubba Hubbard can put out something on Twitter about his coach wearing um, a t-shirt that, you know, maybe flies against the values of, let's say, everyone in coach Gundy's program mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's a big thing and you've got Gundy and Chubbard an hour Chubba Hubbard an hour later putting out a video together talking about <laughs> changes and things to the program so right you know, that's that that's to some extent you know real power and the, I, I think these coaches struggle to keep up with that they're not used to people calling them out on their on their motives and motivations that's 100% it. That is absolutely 100% it. When you wield that much power, you are very hesitant to give it up. And anyone challenging it, I think uh, people react to it incredulously. <laughs> I, think, I think Kirk Ferentz, guys like Kirk Ferentz and Dabo, were like, what? What? What I do? And they, yeah. they genuinely maybe did not understand why that was even an issue and i agree with that and well, and and look at it this way you know if you if you don't if you don't get what we're talking about here in terms of the depth of just absolute unchecked power absent accountability that these coaches what's the only accountability the average head football coach has wins and losses if you sure. win enough games you know you you can practically you know shoot some away with a lot get away with it you know it's i mean yeah. there's just because you look at look at art Bryles at baylor like what did it take for art Bryles to get run out of baylor and oh by the way you know that guy's still employed in the profession of coaching right you yes. look at some of the just unbelievable things that have happened in college football over the past five ten years and god forbid even before that you know things that we never knew about um you know that and 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 some of that spilled over to players you know i still go back to you know the 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 way the Jameis winston allegations were handled at florida state and it felt like the florida state police department was basically an adjunct um business <laughs> right. unit of the athletic department down there and you know that just i still marvel at how that situation was handled you know so some of that does if you're a quarterback at a major team maybe you get a little extra of that spillover but for these coaches the only accountability is wins and losses and beyond that they just kind of run their own programs and and the world conforms to them instead of the way other way around and that's changing and it's scary and and confusing to some of these dinosaurs uh and and makes me by the way all the more thankful that the coaches we're covering <laughs> at ohio state right now right Day, and, and chris holtman and, and tom ryan and others you know are are with the program and and adapting and evolving and growing along with their students yeah and 
Yeah, I, I don't think I can put it any better. I mean, you see how Ryan Day and Chris Holman, all of them handle it and handle themselves in the media. And they, what's important, and this goes back to the, the tweet per month thing, you know, that Iowa decided that that was going to happen. They've deferred Ryan Day, you know, Tom Ryan, all these guys, they've deferred to their athletes, right? They've allowed them to speak. And that's so incredibly important because – I think it would be really a huge mistake to say, okay, well, this is the program's position on it. And that's coming from me, the coach. And we're going to tell you how we have collectively decided, AKA me have collectively decided that things are going to go going forward. Instead, they defer to their students, allow them to talk and speak and give their opinions on things. And again, morally, I think that's the right thing to do, but even from a very, you know, cold hearted, mercenary position that's the smart thing to do in terms of making sure that your players are still on board and you still get recruits and I just it blows my mind that some of these guys just don't want to trust their players to do that for them um, or to take that little bit of power away it's just it's unfortunate Um, but not Ohio State because Ohio State they're doing the right thing so I appreciate that Uh, or or you can just be Gary Patterson and (laughs) release a soothing country single in these dire times um which did you do you get a chance to listen to that i haven't listened to it yet but you know deep deep in the heart of texas huh gary patterson has got some skills that i'm telling you look i'm not a country guy for the most part at least not most things made after 2000 but i will tell you that gary patterson he's got some chops he's got some chops uh i i recommend people maybe check that we got on the buckshots on the side there um, and actually, here's the other thing. Last thing I want to do before we get to ask is anything. Uh, General Columbus information, also in the buckshots, is Jack Hanna. Jack Hanna is oh. going to step down. Oh. He's retiring. And I just wanted to give a shout out to, to Big Jack for all the work that he did and all the great things that he did with really what became one of the greatest zoos in the United States, in part due to his influence and work. I, so, I, I, I am. Him. I am a huge Jack Hanna fanboy. Uh, I just, I mean, from going back to watching his shows on local television as a kid to being a huge zoo nerd. I mean, we, we've been um, members of the Columbus Zoo here, you know, for years and years and years. And just, I, I never bore of going to the zoo. And that was even before we had the little tyke. Uh, of course, I love taking our daughter to the zoo, but I mean, I could just go and you know walk around i I love the elephants i think the the elephant rhino enclosure is fantastic but they keep you know growing and evolving and developing i mean the whole um the whole africa project a few years back you know it's just just beautiful what they've done and to continue to grow and develop and and, and it's it's the house that jack built right you know so uh i was i was hugely um saddened i guess by his retirement because like the columbus zoo and jack Hanna just go hand in hand and at the same time you've been doing it uh as well as he has as long as he has you know what my hat's off to you you're you've you've deserved the time to uh earn the time to go right off into the sunset and do your thing and and a a grateful fan of you and what you've accomplished says says thanks yeah he's he's the best and i gotta tell you some two things first of all zoo's you know, I grew up down near Cincinnati, and so I go to Same. Cincinnati Zoo all the time. Yeah, I, Ohio is incredibly lucky to have two really excellent world-class zoos within the state. 
Uh, Cincinnati, I know people love talking up Columbus Zoo and they've got, you know, the TV show and of course Jack Hanna is a great representative for it. Cincinnati Zoo, in my opinion, is just as good, has some incredibly great programs going on. Uh, Definitely something to check out if you get a chance. They've got so many good things. Um, People are still making... One of the things I like is that the the two are different enough and have different um, animals, you know, outside of kind of the core things that every zoo should have. Like there are things that I I can see in Cincinnati that I can't see in Columbus and vice versa. And I I love that too. That's, I I think that's really cool because they're, you know, in essence, two hours apart. Um, And yeah, well well said. Yeah. People are still making Harambe jokes in the mentions of the Cincinnati zoo's Twitter. But what I will say is that the Cincinnati zoo and the Columbus zoo are both zoos who put in a lot of work um, trying to help, endangered species and raise awareness and promote good ecology and all that kind of thing. And honestly, I don't know that I would care as much about animals and the environment and things like that if I didn't have the Columbus and Cincinnati Zoo in my life when I was a kid. So I I really, really credit them for bringing something to me that I would have never been able to see otherwise. And the Cincinnati Zoo especially, I remember them bringing these animals to our elementary school, which yeah. in retrospect, I'm like, why did they bring them out lion to see what little kids? <laughs> but they did. And it was great. And it, it changed my perspective on animals. And it made me realize how precious some of these species are and may not be around anymore. And it's just a big deal to me. It's something that had a lot of impact on me as a kid and same with the Columbus zoo. And I know they're continuing to do that work all throughout Ohio. So I just, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate Jack Hanna for making Ohio such a great spot for that kind of learning. Cause I think that's really awesome. So yeah, salute to him. I know he's going to head off, I think to Montana where he's at and, and you know, he's got a big old ranch and just live out your days, man. And enjoy it, do what you got to do. And, and I think he's going to continue to be an icon, whether he's here physically or not, it's, it's a big deal. So hats off to him. Um, and as a reminder, if you want to continue giving hats off to us and listen to the 11 Dumbcast, what a great segue. That's nice. <laughs> you can that. check us out, Spotify, all those other things, Google Podcasts, um, SoundCloud. And don't forget that we are sponsored by the Dry Goods Store. So check out drygoods.11warriors.com, shirt, tat, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Let's get to ask us anything. We got a couple questions this week. And remember, this is the off season. So to send us any weird query you might have to dubcast at 11warriors.com. They're both from our good friend Jimmy. Jimmy uh, first has a question for me. Um, he says, in response to my recent ish article, what would you do if given executive control over the future of Ohio Stadium? Would you renovate? Uh, should it be changed or would you tear down and rebuild what would the new stadium look like? And let's say money is not an issue. Uh, money is the issue. Um, <laughs> and that's really, that's really the, the hard part about all of this conversation, right? Like is, is it really worth it to try to rebuild something that could cost hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars when you already have a stadium that accommodates over a hundred thousand people? that's a really difficult part of it. And that's something where somebody were to come back at me in that argument and say, Hey, what about the cost? I don't have a good answer for that. You're right. But if money wasn't an issue, I would just start from scratch. I would probably, I mean, tear it down, sell a lot of it for charity. 
I don't love the location where it's at. Um, and I don't mean that I don't like the physical geographical location. I mean, I don't like what's around the stadium. So if money wasn't an issue, I think start from scratch, you build a much more amenities based, smaller stadium with maybe 85, 80,000 seats. And I mean, actual seats. Uh, you have an entire concourse with a lot of greenery. It is, you don't, for instance, you're not just walking through a giant parking lot to get to the stadium. That's just, I, I hate that aspect of it. I know you want the tailgating. You still love the parking lot where people can go, but I, I love the idea of, uh, especially football stadiums in large areas like fields where you can, you can set up a tent or you can do all kinds of different things. You can have like a, you know, barbecue pit or something. I want that experience for Ohio State. And I also want to see things like Hall of Fames, interactive exhibits about major games, you know, things that kids can do where it's like, hey, how fast can you run the 40? Those are things that I love. And that's what gets people going back. And I know some people may say that's cheesy or kind of, you know, minor league baseball type stuff. But to me, that's what adds character to a place. And so I want to see something like that. Um, maybe partially covered because <laughs> I have, I have baked in some bleachers many a time. I would, I would like to see it partially covered and, you know, maybe something that pays homage to the, to the shoe and, and keep it in the design element. But um, yeah, it's not so much what I want the stadium to look like as what I want the stadium to be able to accommodate and facilitate for the fan. So make it comfortable make it accessible, make the experience fun and keep it under a billion dollars. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know if that's possible, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it, I would just, I would start from scratch. I'm, I'm amused when you talk about, you know, keeping it covered and getting baked because just, uh, just Monday, in fact, Kyle Jones had a, had a film study about the three overtime thriller with oh Philip Rivers and NC State. And he referred to it um, as, as a sunny September afternoon. And Bobby Carpenter uh, chimed back on Twitter and says, Sunny doesn't do it ju- justice. He said that the marathon of a game gave me a sunburn that lasted for two weeks. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So that, okay. So when was that? That was uh, 2003. Okay. That was 2003. So that was not, I, I'm trying to think because I'm, I do not believe I was in the stadium for that one. I can't be sure though. I mean, but I was in like any for... September game that kicks off at noon, right? Is well, so, so 2003 was my first year at Ohio State. I'm trying to think if students were there or not. It's possible that was my first game at Ohio State. You, you know, I'd forgotten that. I mean, that yeah, when when I was an undergrad, when you were an undergrad, I mean, the first couple games of the season happened before we were even back on campus. Right. So I'm trying to remember if that was the case or not, if if that was one of my first games. But regardless, whether it's NC State and Ohio State or Akron and Ohio State or Florida A&M, which I think is the one that I went to most recently where I just came out looking like a tomato. That's what I'm saying. Sunscreen, Johnny. I, sunscreen. Look, I oh, I applied sunscreen, Andy. I was putting on literally every 15 minutes because I could feel my skin start to like turn a, a bacony kind of like yeah. char. It was bad. It's a thing. So, Again, I love Ohio State. I'm not saying Ohio State is like gross or terrible or anything like that. I don't think it's as good as it should be or as good as Ohio State warrants, but it's still an incredible experience. I'm not taking it away from that. But I'm also saying I would be much more willing to shell out a decent amount of cash 
to go to a bad game or a mediocre game and bake in the sun if I knew I had some other amenities around that to mitigate yeah. the experience. Instead, we got rained on, sat in a concrete concourse that was just disgustingly humid with the body heat of 100,000 like cranky people. And then we like kind of shuffled back out to get baked in the sun 20 minutes later. I just... I want a better experience than that. And yeah, man, it can get hot. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's a real challenge over the past gosh, 20 years. I mean, it feels like there have been not just for the stadium, but, but for that whole kind of complex between the stadium, St. John arena and, and the ag college, like that whole general region of campus, there was a, there was a whole faci- master facilities plan that called basically, you know, for leveling, St. John Arena and everything north of, oh, yeah. of Woody Hayes there and essentially moving the agricultural buildings from the west side of the Olentangy to where St. John's located now and kind of building an academic quad there, if you will, and then kind of returning West Campus into more, I guess, open green space and, and uh, you know, rebuilding some of the Olentangy wetlands and this and that and the other thing. I mean, that whole plan has, in essence, gone out the window, it seems like, um, partly because they realized, oh, we can't actually tear down St. John Arena and still use French Fieldhouse and the ice hockey because right. – uh, the ice rink because most of the – the infrastructure of those buildings runs through St. John arena. Whoops. Yeah. They're all connected. So, you know, my, my thought, and, and I'm, I'm going to chime in on your answer with a slightly different take. Um, my feeling about St. John for years has been, you know, Ohio state athletics um, essentially has a, a, a printing press in the basement of the faucet center. So fire that thing up, print some of your stream, endless streams of money, and, and let's, let's make St. John Arena a modern venue that, that still retains that atmosphere that it oh, has yeah. that the shot doesn't. I mean, you could do things to make it a better fan experience in terms of kind of modern amenities while also keeping the fact that it's this amazing historical venue. And I feel that way about the stadium, too, in the sense that a lot of the things that you describe that you want, uh, you know, the interactive kind of displays and the history and, um, you, know, you know, building a concourse that isn't just an, an open concrete wind tunnel with some stinky restrooms. Like, yeah. I, I think you could do those things in that facility or, or you should be able to. Um, the challenge I've got with the stadium and kind of renovating it um, is, is that exterior, you know, when you look at the picture of yeah. the stadium 50 years ago versus now it's, it, you know, there's, there's a major difference. It was a thing of beauty uh, before and, and the way they had to redo it when they redid it here, what, when we were undergrads, I guess uh, kind of took away some of that charm from the exterior and, and you, the location wise is a challenge because you have the rest of the campus kind of so close around it. So building that, that atmosphere I guess and having more green space or having you know what you really want is like when 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 we build these new modern stadiums in a vibrant downtown area you want to be able to go to bars and 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 eating places and have fun things to do after the game or before the game or whatnot and right now that's just tailgating but you know part of me says it's okay that tailgating at a college football game is its own thing that is different from you know, going to a, a Columbus Clippers game yeah. or a Columbus crew game or a nationwide um, concert or something along those lines. But, but it's a, I think there's going to be a real challenge COVID-19 um, and, and what, what could turn out to be an extended economic downturn, I think is going to make things really interesting 
for all athletic departments, but, but even for Ohio State. So I, I was joking a minute ago about having the printing press in the basement. You know, that, that printing press may not be running at full capacity. That's true. <laughs> that know, is absolutely for, true. For a little while now. I mean, I think there will be some interesting things that happen over the next year. What does the athletic department budget look like? over the next two or three fiscal years, you know, what, right. what does headcount look like in the department over the next two or three years? What, uh, you know, what kind of projects, capital projects get put on hold and, and what, what don't, does Ohio State continue to field? Was it 36 sports as an athletic department? Um, you know, there, there are some interesting dynamics at play here. So keep it under a billion dollars probably has to be a fair bit less than a billion. <laughs> Johnny Lee, I'm sorry to say. Well, what we're what we're saying then is that they need to play all of their games in the new Crew Stadium downtown, and that's it. That is, a, share it. that is a spicy hot take. Yeah, remember how the right Crew there. used to when the Crew Stadium was getting built, they initially shared their field with Ohio State at Ohio Stadium. They played some of their games at Ohio Stadium, and I, I feel like they should, you know, kind of repay the favor, and Ohio State can now <laughs> just be in the crew stadium would be great i think it'd be great i think that's what they need does the crew, does new crew stadium have twenty thousand seats i don't think it's twenty thousand. Is something it? like that you know <laughs> the renders by the way look freaking fantastic it, it looks really like excited. i can't i can't wait and, and i i can't claim to be a huge crew backer or anything like that um i i'm happy that ohio state has a great mls franchise and the crew matches i've been to have been a delight oh yeah uh, but that new stadium looks incredible it looks sick. Uh, so I'm excited for that. The last question here, this is real quick. This is another one from Jimmy. Jimmy just uh, – he also wants to know, what is the first uh, athlete to make you feel old? Oh, so wow. he said that Antoine Winfield Jr. made him feel old because he remembers watching his dad play at Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. just real quick, who is the first athlete to make you feel old? Well, that's a good one. I I feel old every time I go to wrestling practice, so this isn't a really good answer <laughs> to this question. Yeah, but it's funny, you know. So I wrote a piece for the site this week about Ohio State's um, wrestling recruits for the class of 2022. So we're talking about you know high school sophomores, I guess, um, or rising rising juniors, however, whatever the right way to say that is. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, okay, so. I've just watched, so Colin Moore and Luke Pletcher graduate. They were, um, what, freshmen, sophomores on the first team I covered for 11 Warriors. So now I've watched their full <laughs> college career as a reporter for the site. And, in you know, we're bringing in kids who are, we're, we're now recruiting kids who are sophomores, juniors in high school. Like, so, yeah, oh, you know, this is, uh, uh, yeah, they're the kids, um, the kids feel more and more like kids at this stage now where when I first started covering it, okay, I'm in my mid-ish thirties and you're talking to, you know, young 20 something. So you're only, Oh, maybe 10, 15 years age difference. So now we're getting to the point where they're, I'm 20 and 25 years age different from yeah. these, some of the, you know, we're not quite to the stage where, Oh gosh, I'm old enough to be your dad. Kind of old, but <laughs> getting there. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So what about, what about you? Who's the, uh, it was Braxton Miller. It was definitely Braxton Miller. And, and there's a specific reason behind it. And it's going to be a teaching story. And you're just going to, have to deal with it. All you're playing are... the 11 dub cast drinking game at home. You may That's take right. a shot. Johnny is just a uh, reference being a teacher. Lay That's it on right. me. Again. Again uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he, the reason why it is specifically tied into that, because I was talking with some students about Braxton Miller and the new Ohio, you know, 
we had just started school and football team had just started playing, obviously. And I was talking to one kid who really liked football. I was like, what do you think about Braxton Miller? And he's like, oh, I, I love Braxton Miller. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, he hasn't really played a whole lot. And he's like, no, no, no. I just transferred here from another school and we played Braxton Miller's team. We played Wayne and uh, Wayne sucked, <laughs> but Braxton Miller is God and he can do whatever he wants. And I was like, wow, that's really cool that I got that insight from you. Also extremely depressing because you're a sophomore in high school and or you're a junior in high school or whatever he was. And I'm your teacher. And now I'm starting to understand my own mortality a little bit. And the idea that you had a new Ohio State, you know, starting quarterback who was a contemporary of one of my students, you know, who was in charge of and stuff. That's when it kind of became real for me. That's when I started to realize like, hmm. Maybe maybe old John is getting a little actual old, and yeah, that's after that when I started to realize that you know there are players and whatnot who are younger than my student. You know, that, that's the stuff where I started to really kind of become real for me that I was increasing in age. But the Antoine Winfield one is really good. That, that's anytime there's like a kid of a player that you rooted for when you were younger. That's 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 when it becomes really real. That's when it becomes a little disconcerting, I think. Well, so. you know, let me let me lay this one on you. So Justin Fields, uh, who who you know, I think we all think may actually be pretty good at football. Yeah. You know, time will tell. Uh, was born during my senior year in high school, so <laughs> how that going for me now? You know. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of, yeah, that's where it gets of, a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Good times. Thank. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate. Yeah. Appreciate thanks. You. Thanks for that. Thanks for reminding us of our immortality. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's a really good question. And, and again, we love all the questions that you send in. Please keep doing them. Uh, any weird thing that comes to your mind, we'll answer it. So definitely. And, and how do we submit our questions, Johnny? Well, you can send them to dubcast, D-U-B-C-A-S-T, at 11warriors.com or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. So please make sure that you do that. Uh, and that's it. That's the 11 dubcast for this week. Uh, good stuff out of you, my friend. To echo uh, a former co-host of mine, that's that is that is that was Bo Bishop's catchphrase. But it was good stuff. It was great stuff. I appreciate you, Andy, coming up with a technological solution to our issues on the fly. Um, we had some we had some tech issues going into this. My mic, for whatever reason, was just not cooperating with the site that we use. So we had to find a, a B option, and it worked well. So I appreciate it. Teamwork makes the dream work, my friend. That's right. All right. So until next week, we'll get back at all these great sports things and dissect them. Uh, And until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time.